Hello, I'm Alex McDougald, and this is INSEAD in Conversation with, an INSEAD executive education podcast series in which our guests share their stories, thoughts, and insights with us. Today, I'm back with Professor Claudia Zeisberger for part two of our conversation on corporate venturing. Claudia, in part one, we spoke about the relationship building phase between a corporate and a startup, and all the questioning that takes place during that time. If we take a step back in the partnership journey and look at it from a corporate point of view to when they are searching for the right partner to engage with, it's a process that must be very complicated. And by that, I mean there are a vast number of startups out there to choose from. And this must make it very complex to find the one you potentially want to begin a multi-year relationship with. Let me start by with the entrepreneurs. Clearly, there has never been a better time to be or become an entrepreneur than now. There's no doubt the uh, the amount of funding that's available, the amount of investment entities, and obviously the amount of corporates that would like to engage with you. So you have your pick around that. Now, as a as a corporate, nevertheless, and you're you're actually spot on. I mean, finding, as you called it, the startups is absolutely key to any venture strategy, whether you're a corporate or whether you're a standalone venture fund. We call that deal flow. The deal flow, the kind of startups that you are seeing, whether you're investing in them or not, at the beginning is crucial. The larger, the more diverse, the more focused, the more, call it fitting, to your mandate, the better. So now, in the whilst this, you may be able to, to, to create deal flow when you're doing leverage buyout by actively looking for those companies that are attractive to you as a private equity fund. As an early stage investor, it's really hard to look for startups because you don't know where to go. So my, 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 and my students will tell you that by my standard example is, I mean, how do you, how will you find that one startup somewhere in the basement in Thailand or in the Philippines that is right now working on disrupting your industry. So as a corporate, again, corporates are not set up to do that. But uh, even for for first-time funds in venture capital, this is really, really complicated. Obviously, once you have established a brand as an investor, you will have all those founders come to you. Once you've established a brand, what I mean by brand, A, that people are aware of your existence in the ecosystem of entrepreneurship. And secondly, that you've developed a good reputation of working with founders. So, and there are, you know, there are some that are better than others. So once you have a good reputation and you're very visible in the ecosystem, very, very clearly at that point, you will receive deal flow. And that's what you need to get to. As a first timer, whether it's a corporate VC, corporate investor or a standalone VC, it's really hard to get the deal flow. Mm. But the deal flow at the beginning of the funnel, as you then work through and you kind of discard the startups you rather not engage with, the initial deal flow is absolutely crucial. Now, but coming back to your earlier question on, you know, the, the, the unicorns and I mean, to me, we, I mean, we can count unicorns and we can measure unicorns, but frankly, ultimately in venture capital, you know, it's not over until you have an exit. An exit means you're receiving, you've taken your company public, you've sold your company, you're actually returning money 
to your investors and ideally more than you invested. So that would be preferable. Now, when I look at um, exits, again, just, just in the last two years, the number of exits that CVC-backed startups have had alone in the first half of 2021 is, again, I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but it's at an all-time high. We have never seen so many corporate-backed startups achieving an exit in any year or any first half of the year. So again, 2021 will go down as a record-breaking year. But ultimately, even for those corporates that are saying, well, financial returns are only secondary, ultimately, when you come to the board and you can present that one of your startups had an exit and achieved a positive financial return for you, your life for the next uh, 12 to 18 months will be significantly easier. I want to come back to something afterwards, but just to continue that thought, the idea of growth. Now, it's something you brought up before from 2020. It's unusual. I mean, during previous crises, think of the 2008 uh, recession, if you like. It seemed natural that, you know, there would be a dip in this kind of activity. What's different this time around? Why is there such a record number of everything in the ecosystem today or last year and this year? Absolutely. I mean, 2020 was was not a crisis in the private capital space at large. So we had a little bit of a pause between March and June 2020. But ultimately, um, funds had been raised. Those funds needed to be deployed. They needed to start finding suitable startups. And that's what happened on the venture capital side. On the corporate side, I think it has really come to the point that we, yeah, that, um, that we almost have a little bit of FOMO amongst the corporations uh, of in terms of missing out on opportunities to get close to uh, to get close to startups. So to some extent. That has kind of driven both the investment side, but has also driven to some extent the exit side, because quite a lot of those exits of those CVC-backed units were actually exits, as we've seen on the venture side as well, that were driven through M&A activity. So it wasn't that all of them went actually public, went IPO. If anything, it probably was about roughly about two-thirds M&A, one-thirds IPO. So again, those are young companies, even once they get to exit, they may be disrupting certain ways of business are being done, certain business models, they may be disrupting certain markets. So clearly, there's almost a trend that corporates are saying, okay, we used to do R&D, we used to do internal idea generation, but, and obviously we can invest in startups, but you know, rather than investing in startups and waiting those seven to 10 years for them to come to fruition, why not just acquire an entity as they are being exited by others? Now, obviously, nowadays, again, partly because of the trend that you mentioned, more capital floating into the industry, deals are expensive. So those deals are not, um, you know, significantly more expensive than even five years ago. And Nevertheless, I mean, it's also remember that corporates have pretty solid balance sheets, right? If you just go back and look at whatever your favorite listed company is and look at cash on balance sheet, you will find there's a tremendous amount of firing power left to acquire one or two startups or Mm -hmm. one or two young companies 
as they are moving towards exit. So I think we have a couple of trends. I mean, solid balance sheets on the corporate side, competition from new capital floating into the venture industry. Nowadays, even retail investors are excited about investing in uh, in early stage companies, whether they understand the risk or not is a different story. But everyone is excited about venture investing. And so that generates a little bit of a kind mm -hmm. of competitive environment to jump in and acquire those companies even on the way out. What is interesting, I just was thinking as you were talking, the intelligent gathering idea for a, for a corporate venture, how about a, a startup which agrees to uh, to be part of this intelligence gathering? Or the danger of that corporate saying, actually, we don't need you anymore. We've gathered the intelligence we need. We've got your knowledge and buy, and we'll just basically do what you were doing. Absolutely. I mean, we have nowadays, I mean, we have plenty of startups. I mean, that's, that's the case on the corporate side. Let me also say that it's also mm. the case on the, on the, on the straight VC side, right? That even individual venture funds have to be quite careful about uh, the kind of startups they're investing in and mm -hmm. how they ensure that there are decent Chinese walls or firewalls in between um, the partners that are dealing with those respective startups. And it's it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, you know, mm. when I'm sitting in a board meeting um, and I'm listening to to certain issues that have been solved, when I go to, a, to, to the next board meeting, it's really, really, um, I mean, I cannot unlearn what I just learned, but I need to be really, really careful on how I manage basically the, what mm. I share then with the uh, with the next startup. So that's a, that's, that is an issue. That's an issue that regularly comes up, especially in, in kind of deep tech startups that are doing mm. really um, kind of development of new, new technologies, new uh, biotech um, startups, new directions in, in health tech. So it needs to be guarded against, but I would argue that that is kind of a conversation to be had with the startup founder independent of whether they're engaging with a venture capital fund or with a corporate, be it for investment or be it for partnerships. Yeah, arguably, and of course, it's a risk. But if you don't take that risk, uh, as in engaging with that partner, then you might not, you, they, it might sure. be even more detrimental. Um, it was interesting, a while back, you said um, about, you were talking about the Philippines, just, uh, you know, off top of your head, Philippines or Thailand, looking at companies, the next startup, which is disrupting your industry. And that made me think, well, there's also a selfish reason on, I suppose, sometimes for, for conglomerates or whoever to, to, to do this venturing is to not be disrupted. They've identified a, a startup which is potentially going to take away their own business from them. Well, how do we prevent that from happening? We can gain intelligence and we can stop them from, we can stop being disrupted and be more of a disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I would argue nowadays, um, well, good luck with that strategy, trying to yeah. kind of like acquire a startup and then keep them in a box, right? So, yeah. and, and make sure the box is bottled up very nicely and, and sealed very tightly. Mm -hmm. So I think I would argue those days are long gone. I think mm -hmm. I see it rather as an, as an early warning system. So mm. where you're basically as a corporate, I would I would like to believe that corporates have gotten to the point where they have the mindset that, you know, if there is a disruption happening, we would like to be warned about it and we will want to be part of it. We want to we want to jump in that whether we do that by joining that startup, asking the startup to join us or whether we kind of try to drive a certain trend in one direction that obviously benefits us mm. or plays to our strength alone. Um, 
I like to believe that that's really the mindset. And I would strongly encourage every startup. And I get asked mm -hmm. questions all the time. So about this, oh, well, we're hearing about all this corporate venturing going on. And do what do you think? And, and my argument is, I don't think you have a choice anymore. You as a corporate, you need to be aware of what's going on in the startup space, in your vertical, in your industry. You cannot afford to just stick to what you have been doing traditionally for a long time. And you just need to, you basically, you need to be part of the ecosystem, somehow become yeah. part of the ecosystem. And then decide, yeah. obviously, what you're going to, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to focus on, how you're going to do that, whether you build your own incubator, whether you run a venture client model, mm -hmm. whether you run, whether you actually invest in startups, whatever it may be. I mean, that's a different conversation, but you must be aware of the individual menu items that are out there, the mm -hmm. possible segues mm -hmm. to connect with mm -hmm. the ecosystem. We've talked about startups. Uh, we've talked about corporates. Now, what about those people within the corporates who are hired or who are responsible for examining startup potential. Can we consider that the same thing? Do you buy in that talent? Say, for example, you take someone who's been working in the VC ecosystem for some time, who's very much used to doing those kind of, you know, research and development, or do you build that talent from within? Building a, a, a corporate venturing function within your company, well, where does that, how do you do that? Where does that talent come from? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I would be, no. I'd be happy to be corrected on that. Um, but uh, obviously, I mean, corporates have done, um, have gone down both uh, avenues. Try to find a corporate person, in, the internal person that is willing to step into the role and drive the corporate venturing part. The advantage there obviously lies that he or she knows the mothership really, really well. So they know how to potentially do kind of the internal PR that's needed to give the corporate venturing activity enough visibility and enough credibility, if you like, within the mothership. On the other hand, you could say, well, you know, we're bringing someone in, putting someone into that role who was raised inside the corporate thinking. So can they transition to the thinking of the entrepreneur? Can they engage in a meaningful way with the entrepreneurs on the outside? So I've seen I've seen corporates basically um, bring in teams from the bring in uh, ahead from the outside and then combine him or her with someone from the inside as a as a maybe not even a co-head structure but someone who has very clear responsibilities you ensure that the inside uh, that uh, the, the corporate parent is very clear and comfortable with what we're doing whilst i'm the one who will start bringing in basically interest from the outside it, I mean, I think it, it, it really depends on what kind of people you can find inside your corporation. Maybe you have the right people there that are chomping on the bit and are quite happy to jump in some, into a role that is a little bit more entrepreneurial, has a little bit of a longer leash, and is a little bit more removed from, let's call it corporate headquarters. So, um, but it really, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but the one thing that is super important, you must have the right person to basically run your corporate venturing unit. And on the other hand, you also need to have the right champion on the corporate headquarter side. The corporate that kind of keeps your, that has your back, that uh, makes sure that you are being given the timeline that is needed to bring 
a corporate venturing effort to a stage where you can actually reasonably say it is working or it's not working for us. And I can tell you that timeline is usually significantly longer than most corporates would like to hear. So, uh, I mean, just keep in mind, I mean, any, any, any startup that, uh, that kicks off today will take four to five to seven years at least until they get to the point where you're saying, okay, it was successful or it was not. So maybe there's some where you can turn the lights off earlier and say, look, this was nice. It was a good experience. Thank you very much, but it's not working. But uh, usually that's the timeline that is needed. And you need someone inside a corporate that understands that, understands and maybe is willing to learn, um, reaps the benefits from the activity in a corporate venturing unit, but um, also kind of gives you the defense that you need against the board who very likely will ask for results, however defined, much, much earlier than you can reasonably deliver them. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was really interesting. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. This was In Conversation With. Thank you to our audience for listening in. If you found this podcast interesting, I would like to find out more about corporate venturing at INSEAD. Please don't hesitate to click on the links in the podcast description, which will take you through to the INSEAD website, as well as Professor Zeisberger's website.